0: Yo, 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 what's good, people? I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. And this is your newest episode of Fried Squirms. And we're going to do things because God told us to. (laughs) I think he told us to, like, smoke his
1: plants, right? Hey, there's uh, some scripture about taking to all seed-bearing plants.
0: Right? This is some of the bitter herb. Uh, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about some horror movies, we're gonna get a little stoned, do what we always do, so let's get in on our green hits to start off, I think.
1: Yeah. All right, so this week, I brought you a joint of some Orange Kush, or excuse me, Orange Crush, so this particular strain, it is a sativa-dominant hybrid, it's uh, 80% sativa, 20% do- uh, indica, it ranges anywhere between 15 to 22%. I think the one that we have, it's right at like 14%. What well, we've talked about in the past, so this THC, is not necessarily the, the truest indicator of how high you're going to get, but uh, this one, it is known because it is an offspring of California orange and blueberry. It says the head high is upbeat and happy, perfect for a gloomy day, which we're kind of teetering on.
0: Yeah, it's a bit gloomy out.
1: Yeah. So for those who suffer from depression, anxiety, pain, and or migraines, this will help with that. The most common side effect you'll get is some dry mouth, which we, you know, we're used to. We've got something to drink on, so we're, we're good there. We might get some dry eyes and a little bit of dizziness. I think we'll be okay. But as far as the aroma, it's going to have some strong citrus aroma and flavor with distinct notes of sweet oranges. So it says it's popular mostly here on the West Coast, in Colorado, and in Arizona, but isn't hard to find in most other places
0: yeah uh so for today as far as a j i brought some sour diesel it's again not not like super fancy sour d's probably been on most people's plates for a long time a little bit peppery peppery a little bit citrusy a little bit or herbally uh descended from chem dog and super skunk but i think the fun part is we're probably not going to hit it before we talk because we want to be able to talk to you guys, <laughs> but i picked up some fucking rosin for the first time in a bit. and got some Sorbetto rosin, so nice. we'll probably do some dabs after the show here. Yeah, yeah. hell yeah. That's what I'm more excited for. Um, <clears throat> I could go in the lineage of sorbeto, but what's really going to matter is those fucking terpenes anyway. So they're actually listed, the dominant terpenes, on the fucking packaging for nice. this particular rosin. So, Danny, what can you tell me about awesomene, myrcene, and pinene?
1: All right. So, pinene, you can pretty much go ahead and... I mean, it's pine, right? Yeah. You're going to have the pine notes, of course. The myrcene is the one that is known for the couch locking. Okay. Um... Well, it, it's known for, if I'm not mistaken, people can correct me on this too, but it's known for having more of that earthy tone and like the grape-like notes too and flavors that you typically get, sometimes the berry flavors. And the osamine, I know it's one of the more prevalent terpenes, but I can't remember exactly its association in terms of, you know, some are anti-inflammatory, you know, antidepressant, et cetera. I don't know a whole heck of a lot about osamine though.
0: Okay, I gotcha. Um, it smells good. Nice.
1: It does. I know that it you does. were smelling
0: this rosin earlier, too, so...
1: Yeah, and it, it does look pretty potent, so...
0: That'll be a little bit more after the show, though. Nice. But uh, for now, I suppose let's spark up, and then we can get to the Guts and Bolts. Guts and Bolts. Uh, all right, Guts and Bolts, for God told me to. As always, I'll start off with our spoiler-free setup for this movie before we talk about who and what went into the making of this, before we get into how it actually made us squeal. So the spoiler-free setup. People all over New York are randomly starting to go crazy and kill random multiple people while saying God told them to. And a detective's looking in on it and finds out a lot of really weird shit.
1: Essentially, yeah.
0: I can't say too much more without getting into spoilers, but... That's kind of the
1: basis for the movie, just... It is. It lets you know exactly what the film's about. And of course, we like to talk about the people who go into making the film and the people acting on screen as well. So this week, we talk about a multifaceted gentleman, and that gentleman is Larry Cohen. He is the director. He's the writer. He's also the producer... ...on this film, and when you look at Larry Cohen's Body of Work, some really cool films, actually, so... ...when you look at some of those, they include such things from the 70s and 80s, like It's Alive, It's Alive Again, the film The Stuff, A Return to Salem's Lot... ...and he concentrated mostly after that on screenwriting, including uh, the script for the film Phone Booth from 2002, the film Cellular from 2004, and Captivity from 2007... Right. The cinematographer slash photographer on this film is Paul Glickman, and he's got some interesting credits to his titles. So if you look at his filmography, he was a DP on such films as Dracula versus Frankenstein from 1971. It's uh, just the title alone of this one had me chuckling a little bit. <laughs> but uh, let's see here. Scarecrow in a Garden of Cucumbers uh, from 72. (laughs) Yeah, he was the DP on Devil's Express from 76. And more recently, if you want to call it that, the stuff from 85 in the film New Beginnings. It was a short film back in 2006. All right, we have the music scored by... Frank Cordell, and this gentleman, pretty interesting history. So in 1955, for those who are curious, Mr. Cordell left the BBC to become musical director of HMV Records, known subsequently as EMI, and held that post until 1962. This is when he became a full-time composer, and some of the films that he helped compose were for the films The Captain's Table, that was back in 1959. Some people might recognize his work on the TV series called The Man Who Never Was from 66 through 67. He also helped on such things as The Voice of Merrill from 52, First on the Road it's from 59. Way, I know, right? Uh, the The Bargie from 1964, Khartoum from 66, and Mosquito Squadron from 1969. So yeah, some pretty interesting stuff, man. He was also nominated for the Academy Award and Golden Globe Award for his feature film score of Cromwell in 1970. Mm. So, yeah, really interesting. All right, this... Oh, excuse me. The production companies on this were Larco Productions. Distributor was New World Pictures. Do you know who owns that? New World Pictures? N- I don't. Mr. Roger Corman. No shit. Okay. Yeah, so he helped... Distribute this for the 1976 United States theatrical release. It had a release date on October 22nd here in the States in 1976. The estimated budget was about $300,000. And there were several taglines, but the one I liked, the one that wasn't so on the nose was, Evil breeds are ruling the city streets, killing on his command. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. What, what were the other
0: ones? Do you have them written down, or were they just... No, nah,
1: they were all, you know, like, uh, nothing too okay. spectacular. I mean, pretty basic, generic shit. All right, so getting into the cast of God Told Me To, we have actually a pretty, I won't say star-studded, but there are some well-known actors and actresses. So leading off, I'm going to talk about Mr. Tony Lobianco, who plays Detective Lieutenant Peter J. Nicholas in this film. And some people might recognize him because he starred in the crime film The Honeymoon Killers back in 1970. You might have seen him in William Friedkin's thriller The French Connection back in 71 and the drama The Seven Ups from 73. He's actually done a lot of stage and uh, off-Broadway productions, such things as Yanks 3, Detroit Zero, Top of the Seventh, And he actually earned a Tony Award nomination for Best Actor for his role as Eddie in the 83 Broadway revival of Arthur Miller's View from the Bridge. So, um, like I said, some pretty interesting roles. I mean, most notably as kind of, (laughs) you know, it's pretty obvious, but like a lot of Italian mafia style things.
0: I was going to say, he's one of those guys that seemed more familiar to me than he turned out actually to be once I went through his filmography. I'm like, what the fuck would I have seen him in? I have seen, uh, what was it, 77's Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. I would not have recognized him from that. Nope. Uh. But the only thing I could think of, because he looks so familiar, that I must be recognizing him from is I did watch Mafia. Okay. From what was it, 96? Oh, 98, 98. yeah, yeah, Jay Moore. Yeah, I did watch that movie a number of times, and I'm thinking that must be where I that's like there's a
1: few films in the 90s where I may have seen them, but I just Mm -hmm. don't recognize them. One was like the 1995 film, uh, Tyson, which was an HBO film, really good. Oh,
0: I guess I saw that too. Yeah, he played Jimmy
1: Jacobs, he was, uh, Johnny Rosselli in the 1995 Nixon film, and he was Louis Bufano in The Juror from 96. So there's a few films I may have seen him in, just didn't really didn't recognize him. But like uh, a lot of television as well. He did an episode of The Twilight Zone back in 85. You mentioned yeah, it was in Jesus of Nazareth back in 77. So, yeah, there's probably some people, maybe the generation before us, who recognize him more so. All right, we have Deborah Raffin. She plays the role of... Casey Forster in this film, who was the girlfriend of Tony LoBianco's character, but she was known for such films as 1977's The Sentinel. You might have seen her in The Ransom from 1977 as well. She was also in such films as Death Wish Part Three back in 1985. She was in, uh, let's see here, Night of the Fox in 1990, and then Morning Glory back in 1993. All right, we have Sandy Dennis. She plays the role of Martha Nicholas in this film. So some people might recognize her. She was in the comedy drama film, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, where she received the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, which is really cool. Let's see, she was in The Three Sisters back in 66. She was in The Four Seasons back in 81. Let's see, come back to The Five and Dime. Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean from 82. Now, there's actually one. I was looking through her filmography, right? hmm and I was like, damn, this is where I recognize her because I watched this more recently. But she was Aunt Lucy in 1988, 1970, or, excuse me, 976 Evil, which I'd mentioned several times before. That was uh, Robert England's directorial debut. Right. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, that's where I recognize her. She's over the fucking top in that movie, dude. <laughs> over the top. Moving along, we have Sylvia Sidney. She plays the role of Elizabeth Mullen in this film. Now, she is an old-school actress because she starred in such films, well, with such stars as Gary Cooper, Spencer Tracy, uh, Henry Fonda, uh, Cary Grant. So she started a lot of films back in, say, 1931. She did a rash of three films, uh, An American Tragedy, City Streets, and Street Scene. Then in 36, she did Alfred Hitchcock's Sabotage and Fritz Lang's Fury. Right. And then I think they said around the time that she was doing sabotage, she was one of the highest paid actresses in the industry where she was earning like ten thousand a week. Dang. Yeah. So she earned eighty thousand for sabotage and that's nineteen thirty-six money. So Damn. you know she was doing some yeah, some big stuff. So she had a, a rash of things she was doing for um, like stage and then she got back into acting for big-time, you know, like movies and stuff. But some of those things that she's actually starred in were Damien, The Omen Part Two, pretty interesting. She was also in Used People, the film. She had uh, a role in Mars Attacks.
0: I was going to say, I feel like uh, Sylvia Sidney, it, much like Tony LoBianco, like one of those people that I feel like I've seen a lot more often than I actually have. I was like, Oh, I've seen her in like 10 or 20 movies when you look at her filmography. I'm like, Nope, I didn't watch that one. Nope. I didn't watch that one. Nope. I didn't watch that one. And then I just realized that I watched Mars attacks a shit ton of times.
1: Now I think I recognize her too for Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, isn't she like the, the woman in the afterlife that runs the office? Yes. Has like the smoke billowing out of her Mm -hmm. neck and stuff. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I said she uh, she got a Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actress for that role. So it's pretty, it's pretty dope, man. All
0: but right. I, I just weirdly feel kind of bad that the role that I know her most from is her very last role, Mars oh, Dax, That's when wow. she has such a long career.
1: There's another person whose last role uh, – actually, two people whose last roles will know def- definitely because we've talked about one of them before. All right, so moving forward, we have Sam Levine. He plays the role of Everett Lucas. Is like, who is that? And then it was like, oh, he's the editor for the Daily Star in the film. Gotcha. Okay, I was yeah, was It's like, yeah. okay, it makes more sense now. So this gentleman's actually known more for his Broadway and radio uh, credits more so than, like, film. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is, uh, when I'm reading here, he said he had a career spanning over five decades. He said he originated some of the most legendary comedic roles in American theatrical history which includes Nathan Detroit, uh, Max Kane, Gordon Miller, Sidney Black. So uh, for those who are really into theater, you might probably know some of his his works and stuff like uh, Guys and Dolls, Dinner at Eight, Three Men on a Horse, Room Service, The Matchmaker, things of that note. So um, some of his filmography didn't really stand out to me as far as some of the films. It's like the kind right. of old school, man, to be honest. Hell yeah, that's just looking, like, cool, just looking through though. But yeah, it's pretty interesting, man, that he's in this film. All right, moving forward, we have Robert Dreyvas. He plays the role of David Morton. He is uh, one of the people who God told them to do something, and we'll mention him a little bit later on right. uh, because okay. of what he did. But some of his film credits include uh, such things as Cool Hand Luke, which, man, great movie. He played Loudmouth Steve. He was in 1967's The Illustrated Man. He was also in 1969's Where It's At. And he did uh, such crime shows and dramas. uh, Let's see, The Defenders, The Fugitive, 12 O'Clock High, Hawaii Five-0, The Streets of San Francisco, and the FBI. So, uh, like I said, probably some stuff my parents more or less probably seen. Here's one of the gentlemen I mentioned. We've talked about one of his final roles, one of his final film appearances. Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) So we have Mike Kellen. He plays the role of the, the deputy police commissioner. And the reason I mentioned... His last role is because we've talked about him on episode 39 when we reviewed Sleepaway Camp, where that's Mel.
0: Which one was Mel?
1: He was the the old guy that ran the camp.
0: Okay, that's what I thought, yeah.
1: (laughs) So that was his final film appearance, man. So, uh, Like I said, I know we've talked about him in the past. If you're curious, I said go check out that episode because it's a lot of fucking fun. (laughs) All I know is Skies Out, Thighs Out.
0: (laughs) Skies Out, Thighs Out.
1: (laughs) All I know, there's some creepy stuff going on in that film. All right, moving forward. Another gentleman I mentioned, we probably, well, we haven't reviewed the film, but one of his final appearances is in a film by a director we've talked about several times over. And I was like, man, I can't believe this is the first time we're actually talking about him, but I am speaking of Richard Lynch, who plays the role of Bernard Phillips in this film. And his final appearance happened to be in the Lords of Salem, where he played Reverend Hawthorne, but uh, he went uncredited because of poor health. And he was replaced by Andrew Prine during early stages of filming. So I said, unfortunately. And uh,
0: like, look behind the scenes to like two years ago, but we were going to cover Lords of Salem at one point, know, and it, then Into the Echo stopped happening.
1: Yeah. And I'm like, Because
0: it was going to be a crossover. That
1: would have been perfect for what they did and what we do. It mm-hmm. would have been a great combination of the both, but. Uh, for those who are curious, he's got some really interesting films. To note a film I actually watched not very long ago. It's the Ninth Configuration. It is "quote unquote" the sequel to The Exorcist. I would say mm, not in the traditional sense. It's not like a, com- you. It's a compatible piece. Let's put it that way, right? But it was directed by William Peter Blatty which is really interesting. Uh, He was also in such films as The Sword and the Sorcerer back in 1982. Some people might have seen him in Invasion USA and Savage uh, Savage Dawn from 1985. He was also in such things as... uh,
0: Rob Zombie's Halloween.
1: Yeah, he was in Trancers. I know it's one of those films we talked about because of Full Moon, uh, part two, that is. He was also in Puppet Master, part three. He was in H.P. Lovecraft's Necronomicon from 1993. Uh, You had mentioned... Uh, Halloween in 2007 which is really cool and um yeah that's uh like some pretty cool films man a lot of television work as well people probably recognize him in some of those roles all right we have Harry Belavari plays the role of Cookie who is the older cop that talks about 1951 to Peter right oh okay yeah yeah are right So when you look at some of his roles, uh, he's got some interesting stuff, man. He was in let's see here, uh, the Kiss of Death from 1947. Some people might know of his role as the old man in the sea is Martin back in 1958. And uh, his final film role, another one of those guys, final films was in another Larry Cohen film, The Stuff, back in 1985. Mm. All right, this gentleman, people probably know him. More so because of the characters he played while he was alive, but this is his film debut, and I am talking about Andy Kaufman. This one blew my fucking mind. I yeah, had no idea. Was, he was not in this expecting movie. that at all. But he plays a police assassin in this film, and as if he needs an introduction, some people probably recognize him because of his SNL, you know, run. He also was in uh, Taxi from seventy eight through nineteen eighty three as Laka Gravis in Vic Ferrari, which is really cool. Some people might know him for his uh, stunts, for wrestling women. Yeah, for wrestling women, for fucking with Jerry the King Lawler <laughs> on David Letterman show. Uh, he also like had a uh, another character he played, uh, Tony Clifton. Yeah, <laughs> which is great. And for those who want maybe like a more modern look at it, I'd say check out um, Man in the Moon. Right, with, with Jim, uh, Carrey. Jim Carrey playing. Yeah, uh,
0: and then of course they did the. Uh, the the documentary on Netflix, yeah, right? Yeah, I exactly. haven't watched it yet, but I heard it was really good. I've heard
1: good things too. But much like everything else in the world, man, I'm still trying to catch up on shit. So far in the back burner, right? right? I'll get uh, to I was it one say, day.
0: The other thing people might know Andy Kaufman for is there's definitely still people that believe he's not actually dead yet.
1: Yeah, I know, right? Still, uh, you could because say that
0: is what something he would have done.
1: He was. <laughs> for that time period, you could say he was like an OG troll. Yeah. <laughs> he was one of the OG trolls of that time period.
0: Probably what introduced me to anti-humor.
1: Yeah. That's a good point, man. Because he was. like, he, he was very grating on a lot of people, but that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's awesome. All right. I've got a few more people to talk about, and then that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. But I have James Dixon. He plays one of the detective squad members. He's the gentleman who winds up Shooting the police assassin. Okay. Right? All right. So he's known for being in some of um, Mr. Cohen's films, such things as It's Alive from 1974, Is There Sex After Death from 1971, and It's Alive Part Three Island of the Alive. So,
0: you know, I think we've watched a number of movies that can answer the question Is there sex after death?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whether you want it or not. Uh, But yeah, I'm looking at some of the other ones. He was in Full Moon High. He was also in the movie Q, which I'm kind of curious about. The stuff I already mentioned. Uh, Maniac caught parts one and two as well, which Larry Cohen actually wrote the screenplay for that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's one of William Lustig's films where we talked Mm -hmm. about with Maniac. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And speaking of Maniac, we have Randy Jurgensen, who plays the role of another Detective Squad member. And we've talked about him because of our episode 161, where we reviewed... Maniac from 1980. Now, the reason I bring him back up is pretty interesting to note because I've already mentioned a William Freakin film. Uh we've already talked about the fact that he worked on Maniac and whatnot, but uh he was a real life New York police detective, and he was the inspiration behind um Al Pacino's character in cruising from 1980.
0: Oh, right, okay. Right.
1: Yeah. And during the 70s, and I think in parts of the 80s, he went to whether it was in New York or across the country he was looking for cop killers basically and uh yeah he also inspired the french connection story which of course mm. got turned into a film so um yeah pretty interesting seeing back on this but it makes sense because this is a bit of a procedural too all right and last but not least we have mason adams who plays the obstetrician in the film and the reason to bring him up is some people most most notably from the 1970s. So if you're around during that time period, especially here in the States, you might have heard his voice in the 1970s Smuckers jam commercials because at the end, he would always say, with a name like Smuckers, it has to be good. Right. Yeah, so that is the gentleman. He's also... That's uh, fucked
0: up. I know. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) He
1: (laughs) he was famous on radio as the voice of the kryptonite-powered Atom Man on the Superman radio show in the 1940s. Some people also might know him because uh, he provided the voice of Larry Pepper Young on NBC Radio's Pepper Young's Family from 1936. So that's way the fuck back. But another one I thought was interesting. I probably like haven't seen it, but I don't recall. It's super vague. But he hosted HBO Mailbox throughout the 1980s, which was a program that answered viewer letters about HBO service and programming. So I'm sure I've probably seen it. Right. just don't remember it.
0: Huh? Weird to think that there was once a program like that, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, they also had a, a satire um, like news show. It was called Not Necessarily the News. Right. That I remember watching as a kid, too. Couldn't tell you anything about what the hell they were talked about, but I remember it.
0: Not necessarily the news. Yeah.
1: I just remember watching it, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. All right, so that rounds out cast and crew. You gave us a setup for what the film entails. should give you some warnings. Warnings. Violence? There is violence. A little the, bit of blood and gore. Little, I mean, yeah. I will say gore, but mostly blood. The, quote, the worst
0: is intertwined with some gun violence in case that makes you a bit twitchy.
1: Um, more, I think more so than anything... If you're very religious, devoutly religious, this movie might set you off a little bit.
0: There is some nudity, but it involves mostly <laughs> real upstairs and fake downstairs. There you go.
1: It's <laughs> a good way to put it, yeah. Obviously fake downstairs. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, but it's pretty mild. I mean, taking consideration mid-late ni- uh, 1970s, so...
0: Not nearly as trashy as it could have been. It's no, like I agree. maybe a total of a minute of the movie. Yeah, split into like two different scenes, basically.
1: Yeah, that's about that's about it for the most part. A little bit of language? Did we mention that already? No, but it's mild language. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I can't even remember that many that much. I just know that it happens at least once. Like,
1: yeah, but it's super mild in comparison to all the other films we reviewed. Mm-hmm.
0: Religious implications.
1: I mean, there is, like, some murder-suicide stuff. Yeah. But it's kind of tame, though.
0: Kind of tame. Yeah, that's it. I don't know what else to say. There, There's your fucking warnings. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So if you made it that far or this far, then you should be ready.
0: Let's get into God Told Me To and How It Made Us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, so we start, We sort of almost just started talking about it off air anyway. But we're both pretty sure this is our both of our first Larry Cohen flicks. I th-
1: I th- yeah. I mean, looking at it now, I, I may have seen his Masters of uh, Horror episode, Pick Me Up, which came out in like 2006, 2007-ish. So maybe. But yeah, as far as like full-length feature films, I think this might be the first one I, I can vividly... Recall, let's put it that way.
0: I know I've seen some clips from the stuff, but I know I've never seen a full one of his movies. I know that that's as most as I've seen is a couple clips here and there. So uh, this is definitely my first full Larry Cohen.
1: Yeah, I was like just looking through his filmography, you know, I think the same thing.
0: Uh, so yeah, God told me to. How did it make you squeal?
1: Well, you know, it was one of those films and the time period too, where it was a combination of a you know a 1970s film that dealt with something outside of like you know hillbilly murderers and mm-hmm. you know proto slashers and things like that, and it's a a film by a director who's known for like B horror, kind of like some of the director we've talked about in the past with William Lustig, kind of comes to mind, um, maybe like the Stuart Gordons of the world, stuff like that there's a certain feel to his films that he's known for. And I was like, all right, um, I think this would be a good time to talk about him." I know this one too that you were like, hey, let's
0: maybe yeah, check this one out. Yeah. yeah.
1: So with that being said, after watching it the first time through, I was like, this is actually an interesting film. I didn't know exactly where they were going to go with it considering the titles, you know, God told me to. And it's like, uh, you know, it could be real fucking corny, you yeah. know?
0: So, like, I probably would have actually watched this movie a while ago if it wasn't for the graphic that they used on Shudder for this, yeah. with a really cheesy kill written over top of the God Told Me To, because it made it look, like, not good.
1: That's what I'm getting at. It's one of those classic examples of don't judge a book by its cover, in this case don't judge a film by its cover, because you're right. I was like, uh, I can wait. Yeah. <laughs> It it just didn't look great, did it? No, exactly. I'm like, ah, this is not the best pitch for this film. If Even that's if what you would have
0: just took off that really cheesy fucking yeah. blood splattered kill and just left it at this really ominous and vague. God told me to. That's a hundred times better.
1: I know, I'm like, well, what did God tell you to do?
0: Exactly. The God told me to kill. Because
1: that could that could open up it. so many different avenues you can traverse. So yeah.
0: Uh. So getting past that. I was excited to find out that this was actually a pretty decent movie. I agree. That being said, I, there was two ways I thought of that you could describe this movie that are kind of just the same thing flipped around, and neither one of them I think sounds very complimentary, but I hope as we talk about this movie, it'll become apparent that I do enjoy the movie, but I felt like this could either be described as a really smart, dumb movie or a really dumb, smart movie.
1: Yeah. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying because overall it's, I mean, the film itself is not like a complicated story. There's some interesting things that they throw in with the characters. I think that enhances the film Mm -hmm. because it makes you think a little bit outside the box. But the first thing that kind of really sound, I won't say sound of the alarms, but maybe even made me more interested in this film was learning that some of its influences or the inspiration was uh, Eric Von Daniken's book, uh, Chariots of the Gods. Oh, okay. And I was like, "Oh, I know about that." And for those who do or do not know, uh, Eric Von Doniken's book was about the idea that man might have evolved or descended from ancient aliens, right? So this film has some. It doesn't say it outright per se, but it. I mean, it. <laughs> there's enough in it where it's like, okay. you know i see what they're saying
0: they even bring up like ancient astronauts
1: yeah it's like there comes a point where it's pretty obvious that that's the influence i was like okay this is pretty cool because there's a long-running show right now that's still in you know on the on the air and i'm guilty of watching it because it's interesting and whatnot but it made me think it's like man this might be the pilot for ancient aliens on history channel And that's,
0: that's why, like, I can't decide if this movie is dumb and smart or smart and dumb. Because yeah, well. in reality, like, this movie's very straightforward. It's a sci-fi tale that starts off kind of horror feeling because of the chaos that's being
1: Yeah, there's caused. panic in the
0: city. And-, and just the mystery of not quite knowing what's causing all this is, is causing a suspense that verges yeah. on horror. But this movie is exactly about what this movie is about. You know what I mean? Like this movie isn't an allegory for the way you might feel like going through depression, or like like the or uh, dealing with grief, like the Babadook or something like that. It's not an allegory in any way. No, it's a very straightforward sci-fi story. But it's if that's the dumb part of it, in that it is just a straightforward story. It's still a smart story in the things that it in the questions that you can form based off of that story. No
1: doubt. I agree like, with
0: that. What if this actually happened? Yeah. It, what if God revealed himself to simply be an alien? Right. What does that mean to humans if God is not supernatural but just another form of natural? That sort
1: of thing. Exactly. Just a uh a superior life form. Yeah. I think that's a, a good way of looking at this film. Maybe even questioning, like you say, is this a just a simple, you know, dumb film, but with really smart uh, questions that are, you know arise out of it, or is it a film that's smart? It's just kind of dumb. Um, <laughs> I, you could argue both, um, but I think some of the social commentary is, you know, maybe what separates it from other films.
0: I agree, especially some of the way that they have people react in this movie, I'm like, Ooh, that just seems way too real these days.
1: Yeah. I, I find some of the things like early on kind of getting into the film a bit is just the opening sequence. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. But you know, the acting and stuff, it's like, Ooh, uh, not the greatest you're ever going to see by any stretch. Cause there's a, a gunman on this water tower, just sniping people in the streets of New York. And, after a while, we get introduced to uh, Peter Nicholas, the, who becomes the main character in this film. And, you know, it looks like he might be the negotiator or at least he's trying to talk to this guy, trying to figure out what the fuck is, you know, why is he doing this? And so he tries to make it a personal conversation. And, you know, it does center around religion. Are you religious, et cetera? And then the guy tells him, you know, hey, you know, God told me to. And it makes him question certain things. You could tell it's like, what the fuck? Because mm-hmm. you, you, we learn that he's a very devout, catholic i'm assuming yeah you know he goes to mass and you know he does all that stuff but some of the the early stuff is
0: like uh i mean to the point where you find out he won't divorce his wife right
1: and that's that's like a big and no that's no a,
0: and you find out that that's on him even though it's first brought up as being
1: on her you're right because of the conversation he has with his girlfriend mm-hmm. right he's got a side hustle too and it's it's fair game because of his devoutness. He's not going to divorce his wife. That has been established. And he does have a side piece. So, you know, it's like they're going to have to get along if for him if it's going to work. But I mean, it's it's just selfishness Mm is what it is. But anyway, the whole point is, is we know he's a very devout guy. And because people are claiming that God told them to do these. It's hitting him even harder. Right. Because he's like, now it's like, when you grow up around these things, it's, there's certain things, doctrines that you're taught, you know, and it's not always the same depending on where you go and which denomination you follow, etc. But with I him. Mean,
0: shit, even depending on who your fucking priest was. That's what I'm because, saying, dude. Like, it's all interpreted differently. Mm-hmm.
1: You don't know who's, you know, giving you the sauce and who's not, you know. So it, it does make you question things, especially when they go against the teachings that you've learned and, you know, just your own personal beliefs one
0: of the things i kept thinking throughout this movie because it's something we bring up a lot i kind of feel like we might be right in the heyday of somebody trying to remake this movie like this would be Mm -hmm. a really good one for somebody to jump on to try to remake now which i think some people would say is heretical because of how much of a cult of a cult following this movie does have thanks to being i mean just by being a cohen movie because he has his own cult following you know what i mean but I find I think this movie would be even more controversial if it was put out today.
1: I think so. And
0: even just that opening sniping scene after we had dude, the Washington DC snipers a few yeah. years back
1: and shit. It it reminds me not I wouldn't say that it's a direct parallel, but it reminds me a little bit of the commentary in the house that Jack built with stuff like yeah. that, you know? Uh no one wants to see a family get shot down. <laughs> Let alone, you know, like, if you modernize this, it could be pretty gruesome.
0: Fuck, have Von Trier do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say this. There is a really interesting name that brought that question up. Like, they wanted to do a remake, and I'll mention who that is in a little while once we get through this. Because I was like, man, that's a pretty interesting name.
0: And there's one other thing that I kept thinking, and since we're talking about this first scene in the movie, if somebody were to remake this, there's one actor that I really hope would be in it, and it's really weird that he kept popping into my mind because I'm I'm not a big stan of his or anything. I yeah. don't really care past literally like his child career, but I feel like Shia LaBeouf would be <laughs> perfect for a remake of this movie, either as the sniper Ooh. or as um, the guy that killed the family.
1: I think that's a good take too. Yeah. there. I mean, this... I think this film could use, and not, I mean, not that it would take away anything from this film, because I think within itself it is a pretty decent film, but a modern day interpretation could be really impactful, uh, considering all the shit you that's have around it. change him. a lot. No, you wouldn't. It's still relevant to what's going on in modern day society. So, yeah, dude, I think that would be a pretty cool take. I'd like to see him in that. That'd be pretty neat.
0: Also, uh, having grown up around guns, I knew that there had to be a a supernatural hand guiding supernatural and beyond our current knowledge of the natural, since we find out it's simply extraterrestrial later, Mm -hmm. guiding things, because he was one-shotting way too many people for having a twenty-two. Yeah, I know, (laughs) know, They mentioned the first victim gets it through the temple. Makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely do that. But we see people get body shot with that thing. And yeah. drop
1: instantly. I get body dude. <laughs> and I'm like, nah, not with the 22. No, I don't know. No. And not from those distances either. No. Uh, you're like, what the fuck?
0: Oh. <laughs> so immediately when he said God told me to, I'm like, well, there's something that's controlling him. Because otherwise he's not dropping people with the 22 that range out.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs>
0: but And then it brings up my maybe my least favorite character in this entire movie. The gunman's mom.
1: Oh, yeah. It's just like, my Um, son would never do those things.
0: But not just that. Immediately, she goes (laughs) to the, people are telling me it's impossible when it happened like minutes ago. That's not my son. I'm like, okay, Trump, people are telling you. Exactly. I'm like, there must have been a bunch of people up on those rooftops (laughs) with guns. The cops are just hiding it up. And I'm like, are you fucking crying like Deep State right now?
1: Yeah. Well, (laughs) knowing that this film does take a jab, you know, with social commentaries. I could see that being this character is a stereotype of that.
0: Right. Cause that's not a new phenomenon to be, um, alarmist and like knee jerk reaction. And precisely, I'm just putting it into a modern context, I guess. But that, that's part of where (laughs) the movie felt too real to me. I'm like, this shit's just happening and you're already fucking just throwing conspiracy theories out on the fucking news. That's
1: how it goes, man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's how
0: it goes, fucked up. Even when the reality's already fucked up.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's bad enough. But uh, let's see, with the second killing, well, I'm trying to think what it was. It was a guy who uh, like went you into a, see a store. don't see it, it's the guy that goes right. to the store and just starts stabbing people. Yeah, and then he's the one that Peter goes out of his way to question because we we learned that he's out of his jurisdiction, asked the guy why he did it. Of course, the guy tells him God told him to. So that's the second one in a row. And you know, at this point, he's thinking, "Well, you know, what's really going on, etc." The third one, if I'm not mistaken, is the guy who we learn, like offs his family.
0: So I we normally watch these movies twice before doing these. Uh, due to our recording schedule, I ended up watching it three times before oh, dang, doing this. Hell yeah. so the third time, I finally caught on that he just did it like a couple hours ago. Yeah. Like literally, the first two times I watched this movie, I thought that they were interviewing him in like a mental hospital, not in like oh the I right 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 not right. in like the next room over from the crime scene.
1: No, I think I caught that like after you know he spills the beans because I was thinking that too. It's like he's way too fucking calm <clears> to be like this just happened. Yeah. Right. You're right. It no.
0: I legit I, thought that it happened, like, a week or two ago, and they were just now putting together the dots.
1: Yeah, exactly. The but trail's leading the, back to this. But the
0: third time through, I can't remember, but there's there's a line of dialogue that indicates, like, oh, no, they're cleaning up shit in, like, the very next room.
1: Right, this is a crime scene, and mm-hmm. it's still fresh, yeah. why? Did he, and he, he tells them. And he even starts to use more things in a religious connotation. Yes. And that's what really, like... You know, some of those early ones are just like jabs, just kind of catch off guard. And now he's working the body. (laughs) He didn't want body blows. And that really starts to fuck with him because as one of the detectives says, he's like, you know, this is the first time I've seen you lash out like this. You got to be careful.
0: He's like, we deal with fucked up shit every day. Like, what's so different?
1: Right. Like, this one's hitting a little bit more at home for him.
0: Speaking of at home. One of the things that makes this movie stand out, I think, is the relationship issues that we brought up earlier. Like the the contradiction between what what's the character's name? Peter, is that it? Yeah, the main character. I almost I was just gonna call him Tony Lo Bianco, because for some reason, <laughs> even though like I didn't know Tony Lobianco's name until two weeks That's ago. A
1: pretty sweet name.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a good name. Like that stuck way more than Peter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Like his the intersection of his belief and what's happening in his relationships is way more interesting than more than most side plots that we're like accustomed to accustomed to yeah, I agree with that, and it's a much bigger weirder moral moral con- quandary than I feel like we're normally dealt,
1: yeah, that's oh it's not taboo really, but it is one of those topics that doesn't really get brought up a whole bunch. You see it on occasion, you know. Mm-hmm. But not from this more, you know, this slant into religion, because it's directly tied into why he's having this relationship and why he can't or why he won't end his marriage it's directly tied to his religious beliefs.
0: And I think maybe the weak part of the movie is the fact that maybe that's something we should see more in like how as his beliefs are being assailed, how does it actually affect these relationships that he's having?
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. we only get like the one or two little scenes and otherwise it's him out on the case. Yeah, essentially. But it's, it's still interesting, I guess, is the, I think so. the point. Like it's I think it's so. more, it, it's a different depth than we're
1: used to. Yeah, especially when you learn of, you know, some of his, I don't know, maybe lack of, of emotion, involved, like, invested in those relationships mm-hmm. because of what his wife says to her about having children and whatnot. You're like, damn. And he tells her straight out, he's like, i got nothing left to give. <laughs> I got nothing. What do you want? It's best if I just leave. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you learn what that means, you're like, oh, shit, okay. I like how this film, it toys a little bit, too, with the idea of, like, Second comings of like prophecy style characters, right? And, you know things of that nature. And how how would you recognize them? And they do bring up the question of
0: right. It's the, it's the what if God was one of us, right?
1: Yeah. What the question I like, or at least the idea that I like, because it does test some of the um hell beliefs that some certain people have about the idea that you know God loves everybody and God sometimes is what they say is like sometimes in order to get a message across you've got to use extreme measures (laughs) and Mm -hmm. in this case that's what's happening it's like we're giving you warnings in advance but we're going to let you know this is what's going to happen you know if we if all we do is heal the sick and people are going to be like ah you know it'll fade (laughs) that yeah so i thought that was kind of interesting
0: the parade sequence actually kind of ended up reminding me of uh, The Dark Knight when the Joker starts, starts shitting yeah. the parade, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I've even read, like, there might be some, you know, homage or, you because know. Because
0: it seemed real fucking similar.
1: Yeah, it's it My makes sense. My first thought
0: was, I'm like, oh, shit, Nolan really likes God told me to. <laughs> like...
1: <laughs> it would make sense. It, and we've talked about it before, too. It's like, all right, here's an example. <laughs> this film literally... Lifted a scene from a stock uh, model footage from it says uh, Gary Anderson's night, and that was it, uh, science fiction TV series Space 1999 is like when the woman's levitating oh, yeah. and whatnot. So it would make sense that certain directors would lift scenes in homage because, they're like, oh, that's, maybe we can incorporate that because it, it, it is impactful when you think about it. Um, that whole premise is the guy calls in, says, One of your own. He's going to kill five in this parade. We don't know who, we don't even know if he's been alerted it yet or contacted it yet.
0: But it's going to happen. It's going Clark. to happen. Yeah. And I'm like,
1: damn. Especially St. Patrick's Day Parade. I will say this. <laughs> this has to be the most fucking, like, I don't know exactly how you want to describe it, but the way the guy says it, Mike Kellen's character, mm-hmm. is when Tony Lo Bianco he comes in and he's like, Warning him, he's like, you know, there's we need to call off the parade, and he's like, we can't call off the parade. The Irish have been waiting all year (laughs) for this parade. He's like, we owe it to them. I'm like, what are you talking about? Fuck you, owe it to the Irish. I was like, that's super pandering. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, that's that's funny because I never heard that argument before ever. (laughs) He really took that shit personal, but I thought that was kind of funny. But the whole thing is the idea behind the fact that. You know shit's about to pop loose. You don't know exactly where in the parade because it's a big fucking parade.
0: And then Andy fucking Kaufman.
1: I know, right? Popping off. (laughs) Perfect. That was perfect person to do it.
0: Yeah, that shit was crazy once again. Um, I I mean, I mentioned it before. Like growing up, we only had so many channels. Yeah. And so there was a lot of fucking reruns back in the day. Dude, Taxi was almost nightly for me at one point. Like I watched like. When I first saw Danny DeVito, like, I, for a long time, I'm like, oh, it's the dude from Taxi.
1: Yeah. And you're like, what? That's, that's an old school reference for some you of know, us. Even when I kids. saw him
0: in like Matilda, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, it's the dude from Taxi. <laughs> Even though that show is like a decade and a half older than me.
1: I know. It's like, I think that show was wrapping up around the time I was being born and stuff. So mm-hmm.
0: when I first saw Back to the Future, it's like, oh, That looks like the dude from Taxi, but older.
1: (laughs) right? That's funny, dude. Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, some really cool actors in that show, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man.
0: Uh, Fuck, when I first saw um, Carol Kane in Princess Bride, I was like, oh, she was married to Latka
1: (laughs) on Taxi. That's funny, dude. Yeah. What the hell? (laughs) Sometimes, man. Sometimes you'll catch those references because of the shit we grew up watching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool.
0: So, I don't know. And then... I'm sure you remember, there was a ton of, like, made-for-TV, like, documentaries and stuff chronicling his life. And, like, oh, of yeah. course, there was, like, Man in the Moon. And, like, everyone fucking capitalized off of that, too. And they're like, what's the real story behind this movie and shit? And exactly, so, so There was a shit ton
1: of Andy Kaufman programming for a small bit. It really, it set off kind of, what usually happens is... You know, now we've got to uh, expose things or, you know, Mm -hmm. question things. And it's just, it's all media fuel. But I mean, it it makes for interesting viewing, if nothing else.
0: So, I mean, when all that shit was coming out, I fucking watched everyone that like came on. Like as long as I had free time, I was like, all right, I'll learn more about Andy.
1: Yeah, exactly. All right, I'll
0: learn more about Andy. And I still fucking pop into rooms and give the, here I come to save the day. (laughs) And nobody fucking gets
1: it. I love that shit. I, I tell you, just from the film, because we are talking about Andy Kaufman, but Man in the Moon, the thing that I thought was genius about the film, because we're we'll probably never ever get to talk about it again, <laughs> is uh, I went with my friend Dylan in high school, because I think it came out in like 99, something somewhere like around that. there, 2000, something like that. But I remember seeing it in the theater, and there's like, what, like the opening couple of minutes, and then it goes to the credits. And everybody that it was in the theater I was at, they got super confused, and I started <laughs> laughing because I knew at a certain point it's like, no, there's no way this movie's advertises an hour and a half or two hours, whatever it was. But it's just like that is so trolling. That's exactly what Kaufman would have done, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I remember that. I thought it was genius. But yeah.
0: So seeing him in this, and then like him shooting people is the most graphic the violence gets in this.
1: Yeah, because a lot of it's at close range, mm-hmm. and they
0: do some pretty decent effects with like yeah some of the blood splattering out bad. the back and shit, like the yeah. squibs and shit. What they I think, fucking good.
1: We've talked about this too, and because of the time period, is uh, you know, sometimes you don't shoot with permits. <laughs> sometimes you just uh, do some gorilla shooting. That's what they did with a lot of these scenes. So, I think they just planted Andy in there. And I was reading a little bit here. It sounded like. Uh, he was kind of like antagonizing some people in the crowd, and at one point the people were trying to jump over the barriers to go at him. Oh, shit. He was fucking with them. Yeah, I was like it sounds about right. It sounds about right,
0: dude. <laughs> fucking if Andy Kaufman were alive today, he'd be the most obnoxious fucking YouTuber. He one of those fucking, fucking so prank for. YouTubers, just getting people pissed off at him all the time.
1: I think it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, but it makes me think of like people like Sasha Baron Cohen mm. creating characters and and trolling people, but you're also getting a certain truth out of them too. You know, certain people will reveal them their true selves because they're you're grading at them.
0: Though <laughs> well, I don't know, man, the way that fucking Kaufman would grade on people oh, almost reminds me more of like the CKY and Jackass boys. Oh yeah,
1: he. I mean. He didn't give a fuck. Brother, yeah, he did not give a fuck. Um Not to the
0: weird stun extremes that they right. go, but no, like no, when but they get into characters and go fuck with people, like
1: No, he would. He and that, there does come a point where it's like you can push boundaries and cross lines and all that stuff. Everybody has a breaking point, whether it's for comedy or not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, all right, dude. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Chill. But yeah, I, I still thought it was Pretty cool to see him in a film that I was not expecting to see him in, let alone a horror, you know, sci-fi, drama, what what have you, film. Uh, so that was really cool, especially being a police assassin as yeah. a cop. I mean, that's controversial within itself because it's still relevant. It's it's mm-hmm. happened not too long ago, mm-hmm. you know. So it's another one of those subjects that you know certain people, some people don't like to talk about. <laughs> but you can't sweep it underneath the rug regardless, right? Mm-hmm. It's just this happens to have the religious bent to it. You know, the God told me to. That's what he tells him. It becomes the motif. Here's what I thought was interesting too. Um, a little bit silly considering the the footage that we see is uh, Peter starts to learn of, of a character because of that guy's mom from the beginning, right? Because right, they're asking right. about a person who might have influenced people or, you know. They're like, oh yeah, there's like this hippie looking dude, blonde hair, Face is kind of blurry, you know, early 20s, kind of effeminate, you know, hippy dippy. So I'm like already thinking, all right, this is like the Jesus character.
0: Well, and I'm also thinking in my head that this guy's going to look kind of like Sunshine from fucking Remember the Titans. (laughs) Yeah, all right. (laughs) Yeah. Especially once, especially once he, when he's fucking asking the uh, the doorman and he's like oh those kind don't have any business in our building right? i know
1: right i'm like "Ooh, all right oh,
0: jesus okay uh,
1: sunshine sunshine oh my gosh man!
0: but then you actually see bernard phillips yeah and he does not look young yeah.
1: well it, just a little richard <laughs> lynch just no he doesn't what i think too is funny is how he just scampers <laughs> down there <laughs> like oh my god damn this is hilarious Let's put it. Let's put a little post by that because I do want to get back to that. Just a little bit before that is when Peter goes and he wants to question his mom, Bernard's mom, you know, and she get he gets buzzed in and she attacks him on the stairwell. I'm like, damn, this looks so gritty, so grimy, and he's trying to force the you know, just say it, go ahead and say it. She's trying to say God told me, but. She's gurgling on her own blood or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um there is a scene I really do like because of that, because he's got the cut. There's like this uh little parade that's going on in Little Italy because that's where we find that she was holed up right. and all that stuff. And I will say this, I've actually been in Little Italy in New York, and it's pretty cool, gotta say. <laughs> it's pretty neat. You not Little Italy Toronto? Um, I'm trying to think if I what I don't think in Toronto. I was in like Little China in Toronto oh, okay. for a fact. <laughs> for a fucking fact. Picking up some 3 penis wine. swine? Uh, no, finding a headshot where we could smoke <laughs> hash in. <laughs> it's It was a good cover. Let's put it that way. Get, like So getting back to that, what, there's a scene where he's in Little Italy and his hand's bleeding, but he sees like the um, St. Gerard little, well, I don't know what you call it. It's like a float, a relief yeah, or something, a little, you know, but then he kneels because.
0: Oh, right, right. Yeah, I remember. I was like,
1: that's that kind that. of a cool shot. It's yeah, a little it bit of a gorilla shot, you know, handheld camera shot, but I liked it. It it had some really cool color skin. Like, yeah, it was authentic is what it was. And I think that's why I liked it. What it does is it, it involves, uh, I guess, members of this board of wealthy people who, if you pay attention to their conversation, it's pretty obvious. It's like they're disciples. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been chosen. And one of them happens to be betraying, we don't know who yet. Like, oh, that's the Judas character, obviously, because <laughs> there are some beheadings that happen. So there are some religious overlays with some of these characters. But uh, the guy, I think, who plays Logan is what his name is the guy who calls in. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the guy who tries to push Peter in front of the train in the subway. Mm-hmm. And he gets, you know, carried by his collar. He's like, you're going to take me to him. And that's where we're going to get back to where they go down into that boiler room furnace, whatever it is. And your boy's scampering around. He's all illuminated. So. <laughs> it's funny. Firstly, <laughs> go.
0: the fact that <laughs> you're fucking God slash devil, which we'll talk about, slash alien brother. Yeah. The fact that his name is Bernard Phillips fucking had me laughing for just random parts in the, through the movie because that's, to me, that's almost as funny as the fact that, like, Alf's real name was Gordon Shumway.
1: Yeah, I'm like, are you serious right now? Bernard
0: Phillips. <laughs> Bernard Phillips? <laughs> that's hilarious. That's some fucking funny shit. That's fucking life of Brian type shit, right? Your fucking Messiah's name is Brian? <laughs> like,
1: Yeah, your Messiah is Bernard.
0: <laughs> Bernard Phillips? You're going to fucking follow a dude called Bernard Phillips at Scampers?
1: <laughs> I know, like, down in, like, furnaces, boiler rooms, whatever. And uh, I think in that scene, though, that sequence, what we learn is that he's communicating telepathically with Peter. Because the guy, Logan, goes back up in the elevator and he gets decapitated. You know, does it to himself perhaps for betraying, but we learn.
0: Did he do that the first time, or was that a different time later on? What what the? the When he decapitates,
1: I think it was like as soon as Peter goes down into meeting Bernard for the first time, he takes the uh, elevator back up, and yeah, is okay. He gets it because you you hear him howling, and uh, anyway, the whole the whole point is is Bernard. is trying to get Peter to go inside the furnace and then it catches fire. He escapes. You know, all that shit happens.
0: So the more we learn as he's going around and he's finding out about Bernard and stuff and like he goes and talks to the doctor and stuff, like the presentation of Bernard Phillips, the antagonist, (laughs) but also like kind of the next step. You know what I mean? Like, this is the powerful version of the alien-human hybrid. Right. Being born non-gendered and then turning into a full hermaphrodite, like, I couldn't tell if that's okay. regressive, if that's progressive, is uh, that...
1: <laughs> I know, that's another it one of those like things, It feels like it should be
0: problematic, but I can't exactly describe how...
1: I know what you're saying. Other than that, it's the bad guy? Dude, oh <laughs> when I mean I know it's skipping a little bit ahead, but you're right. Staying on topic though. It's like when he reveals like, hey, let's, you know, let's make our own race, man. Let's make a superior race. You can impregnate me. I'm like, hold on, th- What? what? <laughs> they lifts his robe, you're like, oh what the
0: fuck? <laughs> All right, so so if you do kegels with your side badges, Phew. does that also tone your obliques? Uh, i don't know
1: (laughs) holy cow dude um i wasn't ready for that
0: i just something feels like if you did remake this movie you would have to think really hard on your presentation of the character of bernard phillips because i don't know for this for this time period that it was made this might be a progressive representation of some of these
1: ideas I yeah I know what you're saying. Right now, you'd have to be very very careful.
0: Which that's good. No, like be I, I totally careful. Totally agree. Like, yeah. Give people the, their identities. Don't no, represent this exactly. shit. Exactly. We've don't talked. Want don't to. be
1: exploitative for that purpose alone. Right. Right.
0: Um, I just don't know how to parse it because it's so many
1: things. You yeah. Know what I mean, well, I, I can say this. I'm not the right person for it. No. <laughs> I'm not even going to claim to be. So I, you know. But that was the one thing with Bernard. I'm like all right this character exists (laughs) i know dude (laughs) uh there's a little bit of dialogue that they have he and peter that is which i like And what what this film is kind of you know posing is bernard's character himself is like the evolved version of what peter is you know because Although he's still that's clean. that's
0: also arguable, since considering, yeah, because Bernard's what, obviously a shithead, bad guy that's ordering <laughs> people to kill just right. to flex his fucking and god the way, nuts. The way he
1: gets choked out and shit too is kind of hilarious. <laughs> it's like, oh, you've never felt pain? I'm gonna choke your little bitch ass right now. <laughs> he's just, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So it does raise the questions too. Like once again blind faith in a prophet or religion or what have you. Uh, you know, because like you were saying, this guy seems to be like Christ-like an image but is ordering people to kill to spread a message, you <laughs> right. know, of, I guess, of what what's to come perhaps. I don't know. I don't know what his ultimate end goal was, but uh, it sounds like possibly hooking up with Peter. <laughs>
0: He wants some of that, brother Dick.
1: I know. I'm like, I was wondering, what are you doing back there? I was wondering how much of it was a a commentary on like the Cain and Abel, you know, story. See what I think, but I was like, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too too much into that because it, it it does appear like they're both born of some some alien race, perhaps.
0: See to me, it feels like it's a it's a weird flip. It's like if you took the Jesus story, except Jesus had a twin brother who was the devil. And then you flip the things around. Yeah. That's like what you're saying, Yeah. Where, so Bernard's the devil, which makes sense because that would be Lucifer, who is the light bringer, and he's yep. always fucking lit up and he's the one sense. ordering people to kill. But he has his disciples and he's set up in a Christ position. Mm hmm. And it's one of his disciples betraying him, being the Judas, that allows the devil, in this case, to win. But because it's a... Or, you know, Jesus to actually win. Yeah,
1: yeah. But
0: he's cast in the role of the devil and persecuted by man for it all. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know what you're saying. It's just, yeah. It, I think Which in some way leads to his own... He still gets to... You you end the movie to skip ahead for a second with like ending it with him continuing to spread forward that message, though, of like, well, God told me to. Yeah. And he's doing it a little bit sarcastically, I feel, at the end. Yeah. But at this point, he's also realized the power within himself because he actually uses it at one point. He does. And he knows just how, you know loaded of a statement that is and so you have to take it on multiple levels when he says that
1: yeah exactly you know and he even warns you know like this has to be be spread i guess you know when, when he goes to the papers and causes panic and all that stuff but that's kind of the, the whole thing is like you know what would happen if you did learn of something like that i think that's one of the scariest ideas to certain religions you know it's what if what if something happens to to completely obliterate that whole belief system, you know? How would it change you, and and would it change you, or you know, mm-hmm. it's it's sim it's kind of similar to that in that regard, especially when you know these things are like oh, we just want you to kill,
0: <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why I call this a really dumb smart movie because it's kind of like that first year like college student coming back from yeah. school being like well religion's just a way that they control you man and we're like yeah fucking duh we know this like obviously yeah because that's also kind of what this movie is but yeah. it just makes it more interesting than that right it In some kind of dumb ways. Like the (laughs) alien thing is kind of dumb. Right, right, right. But it brings up questions that are
1: interesting. And I think because of the time period that this film came out and the time period that that novel came out, and it did really take off. Like I said, whether you enjoy that kind of subject matter, I think it's interesting whether I believe Mm in it or not. That's one thing. But it does raise interesting questions because of the vastness of space and what have you.
0: Well, and I think they have the movie has a character kind of comment on on like what the movie's turning it into because mm-hmm. there's the the one guy who's like oh yeah that it'd be great if if somebody found god cuz it'd be the best thing for atheists yeah exactly. everyone else would tear each other apart because they've made you know they've built their life on yeah. god being a certain thing whereas if you're an atheist and you don't believe in god even if you find god like find out God exists, then it just becomes another part of the natural world where you can just work it in yeah. just like other aspects of science and nature. Like, okay, so we have to carve out this new chunk, but we now know how it fits into this bigger
1: puzzle. Right. Right. Because there's so much more that it like I said, Even if that, you're right. If, even if that is answered, it still raises a lot of questions as well. Mm-hmm. It just illuminates other things yeah um
0: but for the people that are already religious yeah I'd it's just it. gonna tear all these denominators like we were right no we were right but it actually exists that means we were right because look at the way he exists and like jeez
1: man that's a whole fucking another can of worms dude mm-hmm. no kidding uh here's something i did write down and i think is another one of those ideas it doesn't say it outright but you can interpret it this way is even for this time period i think it's i've seen it some claims that this was kind of controversial, and I can see why. I mean, for, first and foremost, because of the whole idea of you know God telling me to kill people. But it's one of those things that has happened a lot in history. Mm-hmm. It's still happening. Uh, the reason I say that is because I wonder how much you know commentary he's he's making on the uh, the whole idea behind certain faith based religions and just you know the the like put it this way like religious fanaticism and terrorism because there comes a point where people are like, you know, they're so stern in their beliefs that everybody else is wrong. And, uh, this is what it says. So we're going to to get rid of you. Sorry.
0: And, uh, I mean, that's another little thing that I feel like fits into the dumb and smart at the ta- right, same right, time, right. because it's a very simple, isn't the idea of people doing something in the name of God, also just kind of a scary idea.
1: Yeah. I'm like, And then that raises that question again, right? Who's right, who's wrong? Mm-hmm. Dilemma for them, not necessarily for us, but for them. <laughs> so it makes me wonder, too. And if I want you're to a true
0: that. believer, yeah. are you really wrong, or were you just being deceived, and does the blame then <laughs> shift to that being?
1: I know, man. It's, it's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so cyclical in, in that... Kind of dumb belief, you know.
0: Like I don't know. It's a. I feel. I think we might have brought it up once when we talked about like Red State way back in the day. Yeah. But I have a hard time. Not that I have a hard time denouncing the actions, but I have a hard time finding true fault in people that seem to one hundred percent truly believe.
1: Yeah, hundred percent.
0: Which, when we brought it up with Red State, it was like in the case of Fred Phelps of Westboro Baptist Church. According to pretty much anyone that ever interviewed with him or talked with him, they all were of the opinion that he was one hundred percent a true believer, yeah, so if you one hundred percent believe in those things that he believed in, then he truly was acting like a fucking like knight of the god of the fucking lord
1: yeah exactly i i mean that's so where does the fault uh, actually lie? I know what you're saying dude that's that's mm. a moral quandary. Is the fault then
0: in whoever taught
1: him that way? Like, right? And who's to say who's right and wrong? You know, I and, like, and,
0: and he's a fucking vile human being. I'm Right, not right to no, say, no, I'm we're not, not trying, trying to defend to say, him. Like, yeah, I'm but, not even going to try to defend but him.
1: That that is a.
0: But I have a hard time a reasonable, being reasonable. Yeah, like as shitty at him as I am at someone who it's obvious that they're just saying things to try to
1: gain right. power for themselves. Exactly. There's a bullshit artist, charlatans, what have you. No, if Most, if, a lot of politicians. R- yeah, sort of yeah, thing. yeah. But no, this guy, like you were saying, uh, this is literally his belief. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not for show. <laughs> you know, what you see and what you don't see is the same exact thing with this guy. And, and you're right. If, if someone believes that devoutly, you, you're right. It's like, how, how do you, argue? how do you approach that? Right. I, because you can make the case for both sides, right? And then where do you if you're gonna do that, where do you fault? Where who do you put, pin the fault on or the blame on for these actions, ideas, et cetera? I mean
0: actions obviously well, if they I mean, do yeah. something, it's gonna fall they, on they them directly,
1: right? But they're cause and effect. Mm-hmm. You know, this is exactly what they believe and it's proofs in the pudding, I suppose, but yeah, it's fucked up. Um but it's still interesting nonetheless. Uh, how
0: did we get to that? Bernard Phillips somehow, which is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> uh,
1: no, I just think that the whole premise of this film, uh, it does raise <laughs> questions. Oh, with terrorism and stuff oh, like that. right? yeah, yeah. Right. It's, you know, you, you see it and people believe it. And, and it's like, uh, do you blame that person, especially when they've come up through that, you know, from birth or do you blame indoctrination, them,
0: which I think is we're learning that right. you
1: don't. No, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's the, the root of the problem goes deeper than just what you see or what we see. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of underlying factors. And in some cases, it happens to be religious indoctrination.
0: Well, and in this movie, Bernard Phillips is simply inciting direct, uh, domestic terrorism.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly, which is another hot topic.
0: Yeah. That, this is a leader backed by a powerful cabal of very rich men, right. Who's inciting domestic terrorism.
1: Right. On the public. <laughs> you know? Uh what the fuck? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Demagoguery, false prophets, etc. You know. It it does raise a lot of those questions. And I think that's the clever part about the, the writing and that's probably why he wanted uh, to not just write, but to direct, and because there's certain things, you know, that he probably has in his mind that he wants to portray, and I think he did a pretty good job of it.
0: Maybe I've been using the wrong word. Maybe it's not dumb. Maybe it's just this movie is simple but smart.
1: Right, right. No, I mean, I know what you're saying. It's not dumb, like, duh. But you're right. It's it is it is a simple film. There's it does. That's what I'm saying. It's not. There's not a lot hidden behind right. what it's trying to do.
0: It's just make trying to make you think about those things
1: and that's where i think it it separates itself from just a very procedural like who done it why are the you know oh this dude just telling people kill because he's a false prophet now it, it raises other questions because of some of those side plots like uh when you find out bernard's mom right which i like some of those the flashback sequences are actually pretty decent
0: those are kind of cool i was like oh that looks I, pretty uh, sp- decent i the second one, I didn't like as much as the first right. one. I liked that black and white one. Yeah, a lot first, more.
1: first one looked like film noir. Yeah. You know, I was like, that looked fairly decent. But what you learn is she claims that she was abducted from what, like Nantucket or some shit, mm-hmm. all the way back down to Jersey City, apparently. That's a pretty good, you know, gap in time and space. <laughs> and, uh, Artificially inseminated, virgin birth. We've heard that before. That's another one of those questions they raise. And uh, it's got your boy thinking, Peter, that is like, oh, well, I was adopted. You know, right. let me check my records because there might be something to it.
0: So, first, I wanted to point out the black and white. When she mentioned the warm light, and they just shine the light on her, but because it was the negative that they were using, it just did like the black spot. Yeah, that was super fucking cool looking. No, I, there that was, was some... really imaginative for being such a low fucking.
1: The cinematography was really cool in this film. It looked good.
0: But she's telling, or the first flashback isn't being told initially by his mother. No, you're right. It's being initially told by the doctor. Yeah doctors fucking rapey and fucking scumbag
1: <laughs> God. did you
0: happen to know not that i didn't play around from time to time yeah what he's like i decided to pick her you know when when yeah. he mentioned picking her up even though she was naked he's like i didn't try anything right. not that i didn't play around from time to time You're right he's like and in the this way case, he says yep. it in the context and i'm like he just admitted to picking up hookers while he was in married
1: right exactly which is another one of those things a guy in a, a position that's esteemed, using his his powers per se to hook up, hook up with hookers, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, that whole conversation, uh is really cool because you're right. It is not told from his mom or that woman who we learned attacked Peter. Right, that's her story. Is uh, there's alien intervention involved with this, as opposed or divine intervention? in the form of aliens as opposed, mm-hmm. right? And then when he checks out his story, it leads back to a woman who claims something similar, in 1941, he checks yeah. the uh I guess the registry at one of the Catholic schools and it leads him to I guess uh it's not really a nursing home but kind of a nursing home.
0: Yeah. I I wasn't quite sure, but
1: Yeah, it's some kind of assisted living facility as opposed, to, but he goes upstairs of that place, and it's Elizabeth Mullins, and you know he asks if he can come in, and he's uh, he you know he's he's there as a detective, and he's asking her about what happened at the New York uh, was like World's Fair or whatever, 1941 in Flushing Meadows, and she tells so,
0: him aliens popped up at the World's Fair in Flushing Meadows. Yeah, and I'm wondering who in fucking Men in Black was a fan. <laughs> of God told me to
1: you, you could because that's
0: what the last part of that fucking movie hinges on all right, was dude. the fact that they used real flying saucers as those fucking <laughs> that's pretty wild eh? <laughs> that there I've almost go. fucking fell out of my fucking chair when they they started naming off all the right. fucking world's fair shit and it was all tied into
1: extraterrestrials and shit and I'm like god damn men in black <laughs> well I do know that the x-files as well uh, was influenced by this the aliens and all that shit so
0: while they're in that nursing home and this is i'm gonna skip a little bit ahead because it i I can't remember exactly when he sees it but i think it's when they're getting out of there Mm -hmm. but they show a shot of one of the orderlies on the fucking stairs (laughs) and it looked like andy kaufman
1: oh you know i don't know i didn't i didn't pay that much attention to that
0: and i'm wondering if there's any meaning behind that if they did use him in that shot you know what
1: i mean yeah i'd have to go back and take a look because i wasn't paying attention
0: but possibly
1: mm -hmm. i could see that that'd be interesting anyway we get we get her flashback right 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 and she talks about um was it just walking back from the fair Mm -hmm. and uh once again she heard like a low hum and a bright light and then she's at like a cylindrical shape whatever but she got sucked up in it, and that was that stock footage we saw where we talked about from earlier. And uh, she says, you know, that it was the first time her dad ever slapped her because she claims, she's like, you know, I've never slept with anybody. She's like,
0: I still never slept with anybody.
1: Right, right, right. It's, you know, uh, call it what you will, but, <laughs> you know, divine birth. But she didn't want it. <laughs> she gave it up.
0: So in, in her flashback is the first time we actually see any of the fake pussies. <laughs>
1: oh my gosh, yeah.
0: Who do you think ended up with the fake pussies?
1: <sighs> you know, we talk about this a little bit. Is Some of the people who work in effects usually take home their work. Well,
0: I, I would figure whoever... Whoever was in charge of effects on set probably ended up with them Right. just because <laughs> I doubt anybody wanted to ask, like, hey, you mind if I take one of those?
1: Yeah, especially. It's like, what? What? Yeah. Uh, research purposes. <laughs> you know, you never know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that would be kind of neat if it still exists, too. you are like, oh, this is this is a piece of history, but it is kind of fucked up story.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it seems kind of stretched out from when I last saw it.
1: <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I, what I, well, like I said, what I think is, is interesting about this one, we've kind of talked about, and I keep alluding to it, is just the whole concept of using what Eric von Däniken had kind of brought to the mainstream the whole ancient aliens concept. Like, what if, you know, some of these unsolved questions that we have happened because there was a different type of intervention, maybe not so divine you know, mm-hmm. maybe alien in nature. And, and it's incorporated in here and it poses those questions and, it, you know, it gets back because it's kind of jabbing at faith and what have you. So uh, it's like, I think that's kind of interesting, especially during that time period, there was a, a little bit of that sweep of satanic panic still going on and it's kind of going, you know, a little bit into that flair, which is from a whole different angle. So I respect that about this film. It, it definitely was different than I was anticipating like for those reasons we mentioned earlier I didn't know exactly how far it was going to get into the de- de- uh, detective kind of storytelling right and uh yeah it so it was
0: kind of procedurally
1: it really was but
0: which I guess is a Cohen thing
1: it, yeah that's just like he has a certain flair and I think it is probably like and loader a little bit um they all have a certain style that they mm-hmm. kind of follow so um overall i thought this was a pretty good film like the cinematography was really good the score was fairly decent well the acting wasn't bad there
0: was one other scene i really wanted to bring up yeah um when he's basically saying goodbye to the two women in his life that was the one other one where it really to me especially the second time through sealed away the fact that it seems like this is a a weird flip and reinterpretation of like the Jesus story because the way he's addressing them and the way he tells them to move on and like is basically like one of them is a stand-in for the church and the other one is a stand-in either for, and this is the part that wasn't clear to me, is that one of them is either a stand-in for the church and its people With the other one being St. Peter being like the first pope, which fits in because they were all basically Catholic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And like
0: being like, take what you learned from me, because I'm not going to be around. Right. And like (laughs) comfort each other and form it the way that it's supposed to be.
1: Yeah, and I could see that. I could see that.
0: And the other interpretation I had was it's, he's saying one as a goodbye to... Once again, the church, but a more stable version of the church and being like, you're what I'm leaving. And then, and that's supposed to be more of his goodbye from his alien side, which is like the supernatural side. Gotcha. And then his goodbye from the human side is his side piece, would then be um, a stand in for Mary Magdalene yeah. if you buy in on the Jesus had an affair with Mary Magdalene.
1: I could see that. And as that's well. his human side saying a goodbye. Right, right, right. There are certain things that you, you can totally I won't say buy into, but you can definitely interpret it in that light because once again it's I think it's taken a jab more so at Christianity, that's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, more so than other religions. But yeah, I think there's enough room in this story to definitely interpret it in those lights. Yeah. I'm Not going to argue with it there, but I couldn't yeah.
0: really fall on a like a definite a one or the yeah.
1: other. And. yeah, I, I think when I watched it, I, I was kind of leaning more towards that. Like, you know, his mother—you could say, or not his mother, his wife—you could say uh, maybe it's uh, not necessarily his mother, Mary, but you know, you're right. It maybe is more tied into the church, mm-hmm. and yeah, and his girlfriend, <laughs> the one that can't talk about, <laughs> right? But she's always been by his side. Yeah, the Mary Magdalena. So who knows? But I I could see that for sure.
0: Yeah. I don't... And then the end is fine.
1: Right. I mean, I like it. It's a little bit of a jab too, right? Yeah, God told me to. Yeah. What?
0: Well, and even not just that, but even like their face off and shit and the just oh, like yes, the place coming down.
1: Yeah. I You know, I, it makes me want it too. Like some people could maybe interpret it like that's his martyrdom, Bernard Phillips' martyrdom. <laughs> You know, but I think I like the fact that he's more of like a Lucifer, Lucifer character, mm-hmm. more so than a Jesus character. Yeah, it's the inverse.
0: Oh, did we mention fucking um, Homeboy going and killing the, the drug dealer, though?
1: No, we should bring that up, because that's Cause that cool. was
0: Because that was an interesting idea, and I thought that they were going to play more with the idea of, like, as soon as the public knows it, that it's quote-unquote God, that this guy is immediately just like trying to pin his own crime on God. Yeah. And <laughs> then once the fucking Tony Lobianco realizes that he's quote unquote God, yeah. he goes and punishes him for taking his
1: name in vain and Yeah, exactly. It's blasphemy one man. Of his friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, you know, even if he he might have been a dirty cop, but it, you shouldn't be like yanking him in the back like that. That's fucked up.
0: I do feel like how that all was given way too much screen time, though, for how how small of m- yeah. it matters to what's going on.
1: Yeah, I thought it, it was kind of an interesting...
0: It was a fun little sun, like I, side plot. I liked
1: it. I thought it was cool.
0: <laughs> it's a good side plot. Yeah. It's just for how little it ties in and how little it matters. Yeah. It's given a lot of screen time. I
1: think what you hit on, though, is like maybe it was just kind of solidifying a little bit of that message, like the wrath a little mm-hmm. bit of, Yeah that's the only thing i could think but yeah aside from that i think it's an interesting view for people who like um maybe a little off-kilter it's not hugely off-kilter but not necessarily horror it has a, all those different elements we talked about like crime and sci-fi and horror and drama you know and then you've got these quote unquote theories conspiracy or not you know it has a little bit of Different appeal, let's put it that mm-hmm. way. Yeah, I think for people who like X Files and on some other shit we talked about, have fun with this.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It it does a good job of taking all of those ideas in a way that kind of ties them all together. Yeah, that you don't normally see, I would say.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's talked about a whole bunch, not necessarily.
0: And I liked it. Yeah, I'm I thought it was not fun. I like Super Over the Moon on it, but I no, think same it way. I it's like,
1: it. uh, this could be a good companion piece with some other films along this term, like. I don't know, this time period, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, would be a fun one maybe to pair it with. Mm. There's some other ones along the, the journey, but not a bad film overall.
0: No, not at all. Let's see. So time, time period-wise, I think we know what we're doing next week so, so that we so. can drop it in time for Halloween, yeah. right? Yeah, buddy. It's going to be so, fun. So uh, our Halloween episode this year, we ran out. We, we tried to keep with this theme. We did trick or treat. We did trick or treat. We did trick or treats. Unless you guys let us know about <laughs> yeah. any other movies with those titles, we're going to have to skip skip that theme this year. Right. And instead, we're doing a movie that's set oh, man. on
1: Halloween. Dude,
0: yeah. So this year will be Night of the Demons.
1: I am super stoked about that I've one. never
0: seen it i know that you're excited yeah which makes me excited
1: in a big bad way
0: (laughs) so in order to keep up with us as we cover that next week and go all spooky season i mean guys it's spooky season for us year round but
1: (laughs) i know right but yeah we're we're in the midst of halloween we're in
0: the middle of it even if it's a shitty COVID halloween right it's halloween nonetheless that's right Uh, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now also if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now that would be super helpful because algorithms are on the world and we want to be all up in them Uh, also you know just tell people be like yo I like how these guys break down movies
1: yeah spread the word bro. we'll be like why (laughs) (laughs) I would like to think we we have some decent insight I
0: think so too I think so too Uh, but tell people help us out let's grow this even more Go check out our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Check out all of our back catalog there. Um, I'm hoping to do some overhauling of it kind of soon. Nice. So I'm hoping that soon I can tell you to go to the website and you can like search by, like, what have we done to talk about slashers? What have we done that's Lovecraftian? That sort of thing. Yeah. But we'll see how motivated I actually get.
1: <laughs> i just say it's a work in progress.
0: It's a work in progress, but... Uh, While you're at the website, currently, in its current form, you can contact us through there or by emailing us squirmcast at gmail.com. And while you're at the website, you can also click the links up at the top. Uh, We are part of the Earvern Podcast Network. Go check out the other shows on the network. Listen to me talk about nerdy shit over on General Nerdery. Listen to the boys of the Art of Wargaming talk about war treatises and how they relate to modern day war gaming such as warhammer 40k and bellegarth oh yeah um along with that there's more shows to come hopefully soon i know there's one that's being edited possibly as we speak actually uh that we might be out before the end of the year that's what i think we're hoping for uh, and then probably maybe more to come I know that there's other ones being worked on so nice. uh, the easiest way to keep up with all that would be to just check out the main earworm site that's e-a-r-v-v-y-r-m dot com check us out general nerdery across all the social medias uh, not general nerdery fried squirms that's I was right. just talking god damn doing too much these days <laughs> um, did I miss anything
1: no, I think aside from all the plugs, uh, we do like your recommendations. And sometimes, you know, we're always up for your suggestions as well.
0: Uh, we recently got some recommendations. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that. I did. That's really cool. Uh, so we will probably start in on those very soon.
1: I think it's a good idea. And they're fun films. Uh,
0: we probably would have started in on them next week if it wasn't for the fact that it was Halloween
1: and we already had uh, that planned. Yeah. So. Nonetheless, we do enjoy your recommendations. Like I said, we do like your suggestions. And if you're an indie filmmaker, you need some eyeballs on your film, let us know. We like to do that.
0: Yeah. And somebody just, I mean, we're about to very soon cover a movie that somebody just told us to. So yeah. all of you can do that. Just hit us up. Exactly. Uh, but for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Oot. Oot.